and welcome back to Restless. My name's Father Joseph Gill. Stop stealing my identity. <laughs> anyway, I don't know. Matt uh, hasn't gotten enough sleep in the last couple days, but <laughs> welcome back to Restless. I'm here with Lauren, as you heard, Matt already, and Paul. And because uh, Paul and Lauren were late, we decided to vote them off the episode. So it's just going to be Matt That's and I. right. That's fine. <laughs> I'll, I'll listen. This is great. Paul has strong words about global warming. I do. Yeah, I'm very pro-global warming. <laughs> Because it's very cold on this March day. It is. It's cold. Yeah. I'm cold. So. <laughs> How about you? Where do you stand? It is cold outside, and there are kids currently playing soccer on a cold evening. Yes. Yeah. And they're being yelled at to put on their because pants. because it's March. Outdoor sports are back. Right. Yeah. That's true. That's true. I was going to say, where do you stand? Well, sometimes I stand to the left, sometimes to the right. <laughs> I just you know, strong. Sometimes start in my to dining this room. Episode. It's good. It's all good. We're doing current events, I hear. Uh, yes. If you've listened thus far, thank you for t- <laughs> listening for the first two minutes of banter. Yeah. So you know, there is so much going on in the world, and so much going on on our minds, and we just want to talk about some of the stuff that's kind of been in the news lately, and, and on our hearts, and just look at it from a Catholic young adult perspective, and say, you know. How should we be dealing with some of the stuff that's going on in the world? Because it seems like the world is going crazy. I mean, we're here in, in the second week of this this war with Ukraine, and and I was reflecting, like like you know, Matt, you're young enough that this is probably the first war you remember. <laughs> it sounds like a diss. <laughs> I, yeah, a bit. I mean, I, mean, I, I remember mean, the uh, Gulf War, like when that happened. But yeah, yeah, I don't know if it counts, but I I have vague memories of 9/11. Okay. All right. You know, how, how old were you? If you don't mind me asking, for nine eleven. I was in. Uh, it was two thousand one. I was in okay. kindergarten. Kindergarten. Okay. I remember being picked up from school. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah my mom was head lunch lady that year, so I had to wait until she was finished. Oh. And I was sick that day, and I was in the nurse's office all day. Oh no! Wow. So I actually got to hear all that was going on for nine eleven because my the nurse had the radio on. It's right. kind of scary because you were probably, what, fifth grade, sixth grade? Sixth grade, yeah, 2001. Yeah, yep. wow. Yeah, that, that's when 9-11 happened. Hmm. Right. I was a freshman in college and now I feel old. <laughs> yes, well, that's the way it goes. But so, so all of this idea of like a war, especially, I mean, okay, 9-11 happened, but that was, it was the Middle East. I mean, you kind of understand the Middle East is, has been warring for thousands of years. Right. But, but this is the first European war since World War II. Yeah. True. I mean, and, and we always thought Russia was our friend. Yes. Like, what's, what's been your takeaway? What's been your, your initial reactions and response well, to this? Yeah, so there's a couple of things. So, so there were wars in, in Europe, so to speak, that we, we just have ignored over time. And that's because Kosovo, they— I guess. And, yeah, there was a bunch of wars that happened in, like, former Soviet republics and former communist bloc countries in, you know, in the 90s all the way back. I mean, Russia invaded Hungary at one point when they decided to go free, when they decided to declare freedom, and then— and then that only lasted a few days. So there's there's been conflicts, and it's actually been centered in, to some extent in the Soviet Union. So, But I don't think we've seen the level of aggression where it's a true like independent country that has been so for 30 years or yeah. so, um, where it's been just invaded uh, for, for whatever Putin's gone after, which is really scary. I was also reflecting, this is the first war we've had that we've had social media for. Mm. And I wonder if that raises our awareness a lot more. You know, we got the 24-7 news cycle, so now we can keep right. updated every 20 minutes on what's going on, who bombed who, and what cities are under siege. And and I, I don't know if this would be as big of a deal if we didn't have that. I think at a minimum, it must, uh, it certainly brings forward, like, uh, the violence against civilians. That happens outside of war. 
You know, sure. all, anybody anybody gets hurt in any way by someone, it's on social media and it blows up. So now we're putting it in a, in the context of a war. So, you know what I mean? Well, but it's even selective on social media, right? Chicago has how many shootings a year? Right, five hundred shootings a year. I mean, that's I mean, that's a right. war. It 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 brings up not not that I necessarily believe this. You know what I mean? But you could there's a way that you can look at how it is politicized. Sure. Yeah. Right. right. Lauren, what do you take your takes? Um, yeah, I've heard there's kind of propaganda, I guess, on both sides, and we've heard of some heroic stories from the Ukrainians that aren't true, and then others that are. Um, so I think there is a lot going on in that respect. I haven't really been tuned into social media much to see it myself. I haven't seen any videos um, or images, and from what I understand, it's pretty horrific, and it's only going to get worse. Um, you know, Russia is continuing to attack and now going into more civilian areas. Right. Um, so that's, you know, awful. Yeah. Right. Um, I don't know what civilians are left. A million have left the country. Yeah. And I think, uh, I think it's worth like right off the bat saying that, that like we all recognize that it really is a terrible tragedy. You know, it's like there's, it's a war crime. What, what, Putin is doing in the way that he is attacking civilians today. I, I have a we were we were talking about it earlier, Father. Um, that I have a bit of a, a a cool perspective. Maybe cool is the wrong word. Having uh, worked on Let Me Be Frank this morning, where the bishop interviewed the he he interviewed Bishop Edward Kawa. I think that's his name. I hope I didn't get it wrong. And he is the bishop of Lviv in the Ukraine. And it was he. The, the whole interview is how, um, bas- basically, Bishop uh, Kawa was requesting our prayers. You know, if you had to like boil it down to one big message, he was like, "Please help." You know. Yeah. And how boots on the ground, like it's terrible there. I bet. You know. Yeah. He just like he was just saying how terrible it was. Um, of course, he's a very humble person, and so he wasn't. His, his translator at one point said, I'm not translating. These are all the things he's doing that mm. he won't bring up. Wow. You know, about like him getting in the driver's seat and driving aid to people, you know, like so. So but but it was very interesting. And, and of course, I'm doing a terrible job in remembering. But like Russia is pre- Russia's preventing humanitarian aid from getting through. And mm-hmm. that that's definitely a war crime. You're not supposed I mean, my understanding, at least. Very minute understanding. Um, sure, sure. You know, yeah, it has to come over. It has to come by over the border from Poland or wherever, because um, airspace is all knocked down and it's hard to get things in and out right now. Yeah, um, I got a message from late last night. Um, I got a message from Matt Frad. Not a personal message. It was a blast message. <laughs> but I got a message from Matt Frad saying, um, "Well, I'm going to Poland tomorrow, and because uh, a priest there asked me to come and help to." Uh, get orphans out of Ukraine that are stuck wow. into Poland. And he says, so I'm going to Poland and we're going to try to get into Ukraine. I thought that was amazing. Isn't that incredible? I'm, I'm, in the, I'm in the group chat that you sent the screenshot. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. That uh, means you read it. That's good. I did. Yeah. yeah, yeah, good. yeah. Okay. It's um, working. <laughs> group chat's working. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think it's amazing. It, it, it's, uh, it's very uh, encouraging to have uh, lay people that are such good examples. Um, well, there's going to be so many stories of heroism that come out of this this conflict. Yeah. yeah. And we've already heard, right, that Ukraine has done a great job so far in holding off Russian forces. Yeah. Right? I think that 
this has not gone how Putin expected is what the news coverage is saying. Right. Yeah. Also, apparently what I've been reading is, and it's hard to know what's true and what's false, but the Russian troops that are on the ground, they're they're demoralized. They don't know why they're there. They were told they were drilling. That's supposed to, again, all this might be false. We don't we don't actually know. Um, but what we've heard is that it's that they don't know why they're there. They're not particularly excited about going to war in Ukraine. Like it's not it's not like a big national like right. uh, there's no big nationalism around it like there was maybe under Hitler when he just decided to start invading countries. So um, and and maybe they're fighting their their lack of success thus far has uh, has shown that the other side of it is that they might only be sending in their conscripts, the most junior soldiers and commanders into the war zone thus far. And they're they're more trained, um, more experienced soldiers are are heading in now with the 30 mile convoy that's currently surrounding Kiev um, as we speak. So it's really scary, um, and I don't think we've seen the worst of it, unfortunately. So certainly need to pray. Yeah, and that w- that was the big message of the episode this morning. Uh, Bishop Frank's uh, episode was like he his his one liner, and I don't want to steal it. You should go listen to it. It's <laughs> no, no, steal it. It's good. It's great. <laughs> yeah, it'll it'll air next week. Was uh, we have two options. We can either follow Jesus's teaching now, or we cannot. Mm. And that takes a lot of you know that takes several different forms. You know, whether it be giving materially, whether it be praying, but but we have two options here. So really, yeah. So that is really my question: is like how do, how should a Christian respond? You know, is it is there are there the those the only two options: prayer and financial generosity? If I'm a Christian in America. Because I mean, you know, getting on a plane and going to Kiev is not really an option for me, right? Certainly, the majority of people, right? Yeah, I think it boils down to well, it's always a situation, and this I think you you come to realize, especially when tragedy happens, either in your life or around you, is you realize how little you actually have under control and how much you have to give give it back to God and have Him and rely on His providence. Mm. So, like, you're right, you 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 are not in a position where you can hop on a plane tomorrow because you have parochial responsibilities. And and we all have different responsibilities that will probably preclude us from flying to Poland and trying to drive into Ukraine, which seems crazy, but there are people literally doing that. Um, yeah, it's amazing. But So those are the one of those situations where you have to just... I mean, prayer is probably the best answer at this case because you don't have any control over it. Like, I don't have like fit, like real control over what's happening in Ukraine. Yeah. Yeah, I, this may this may be cynical of me, but uh, when when the COVID shutdown hit, one of the first things that happened, at least here in Stanford, was people started painting rocks. And do you remember that? And did you ever no. see that around? Yeah, I, would, I mean, I'm, I'm a big outdoorsman, so I'd spend a lot of time outdoors when we were all locked down, and and I'd see these like you know kind of nice little painted rocks because I guess everyone's kind of going through a real struggle and a real you know tough time, mm-hmm. and it was kind of like you know cheer up. It was like really happy stuff, and you know I'd see social media posts like you know because everyone wants to help. Well, how can I help? How can I help? You know. And, well, I guess what occurred to me is, you know, if we had spent the time that we'd spent painting the rock in prayer, that would have been, you know, more ben- beneficial. But unfortunately, in our today's world, sees prayer as almost like well, it's just magical thinking, you know, to pray for Ukraine. Well, what's that going to do? Well, I mean, I hope it does something. Hope it does everything, really. Because that's right now pretty much all we can do. Right. Yeah. No, that's, I'm, I think, a really, a really great point because... People do want to contribute. People do want to help. And painting rocks is painting rocks. <laughs> and maybe it did cheer some up people up, so I don't want to... Yeah, I guess. And people are coming together. There was a rally in, in Stanford on Tuesday. Um, and if 
you know, if Ukrainians are supporting each other and people in the community want to show that they support, that is good, but it's not stopping anything that's going on. So prayer can affect change. This is what we believe right. as Catholics. Sure. So I think you are exactly right. Why not go spend an hour in adoration, right? A holy hour or offer a rosary. Do something that's a, maybe a small sacrifice for you if you're not in the habit of doing that. And give it up to God because you can't see the result of that, right? You get to look at your pretty rock when it's done, but it's still just a rock. <laughs> that's a serious yeah. topic, but that's funny. Well, you know, it's funny. One of the girls from the youth group that Lauren runs, a girl named Sarah, uh, who's in high school, reached out to me last week and said, I want to organize some sort of prayer service for the people of Ukraine. So this afternoon, actually, we met here at St. Gabriel's in Stanford, mm -hmm. and we had probably a good 50, 55 people that showed up. And I was, I was amazed because, I mean, she, she put it out to all of her parents, friends and everything, and she got everyone here and we did an hour of adoration. That's in the amazing. And it was led by this 16-year-old girl who just realizes prayer is the most important thing you can do. At a time like this, yeah, I think uh, I think it's uh, very providential as well that it ha this has all occurred in the uh, during Lent. You know, I know it happened; it began beforehand, but but now that it is Lent, you know, yeah, uh, to make a albeit maybe distant connection, right? Uh, I think that so so at Fatima, right? One of the main messages of Fatima was that we need to make small sacrifices. You don't even have to make huge sacrifices. We just need to make, we need to, you know, perform acts of penance and make sacrifices. And, and with COVID, I saw COVID or I tried to see COVID through the lens of like, you know what? I don't really want to wear a mask, but like small sacrifice, you know? Mm -hmm. And so right now I'm seeing the providence of God having all, all, all of this in the Ukraine that's happening coinciding with Lent where we are supposed to sacrifice and pray, you know? Well, it's great that the Holy Father said that the day of fasting would be Ash yeah. Wednesday, which we're all fasting anyway, but now we have yeah. an intention to do it for. Right. You know? That's a great insight. It's a great insight. So speaking of Fatima, I want to get your input on this because I have never been able to really figure it out, and I'm wondering if this is a piece of it. Mary focused so much on Russia mm -hmm. in Fatima. You know, we've got to have the conversion of Russia, the conversion of Russia, and, and you know, and there was all kinds of these attempts to consecrate Russia to the Immaculate Heart, and... Sister Lucia said it was done after the 1984 attempt, and then others have said it wasn't done. What is Russia's role to play in salvation history? Because obviously it's important. Our Lady said it is, but do you know any? Do you have any idea what con what the connection is? Because I really I don't. didn't. I didn't even know that. Uh, is it, is it Lucia or Lucia, Sister Lucia? I have no idea. I'm not sure. But who can speak okay. Portuguese? Uh, but but I I didn't realize that she said that it it had been performed. I was under the impression it still hasn't been. She did say, yeah, because the, I think the Pope in 1984 said that um, consecrating the entire world, especially Russia. So it wasn't specifically for Russia. It was like right. everybody and Russia. Right. Uh, but she said she said it fulfilled the, the things that Our Lady asked for. Right. I, I don't know. know that. Any thoughts? This is like. What you're asking? Why why was Russia signaled singled out? Yeah. Why is Russia so important? Situation? Is it is it because of now? It could be. Maybe we don't know yet. Maybe we'll, we're yet to find out. I mean, Russia's always been an it's it's an, Russia's always been a, a sordid country, like it's uh it's it's had a really weird, long, tumultuous history, and maybe there's and and beginning of the 20th century we hadn't even seen we hadn't even seen most of it yet, right? With right. The Soviet Union. I mean, think about even just Ukraine, right? Though under Stalin, 
Ukraine went under a terrible famine and some, I don't know what the number is. We don't actually know. It's between five and 10 million people died in Ukraine under really? Stalin really? over a period of time, like a decade or so, because they, they, they took all the farmers away and it was, the, so it was the communist movement. So Ukraine has always been in an interesting position with Russia. It's also a Catholic country um, and, and has been, and it's split, right? Part of it's Russian and part of it's Ukrainian or, or Catholic Ukrainian and and, and so it's always had this sordid history. So it's interesting that it's all coalescing now. Um, but I don't think we know yet. Hmm. But certainly there is something with Russia and something that was going to happen in the next hundred years that's still being written today that does, uh, it certainly seems um, certainly seems important that there would be a conversion of some sort. I would hope so. I hope so. Yeah, I mean, it was an atheist nation. You know? It was a forcibly atheist nation right. under the Bolsheviks, yeah. You know, so you see a huge, I mean. It was also, interestingly enough, in, in 1920, it was the first nation in the world to legalize abortion. Really? Yeah. So a lot of people, when they say, you know, um, you know, Russia will spread her errors throughout the world, which was one of the prophecies of Fatima, a lot of people thought it was communism, but I'm thinking it might be abortion. It's probably both. I think both. it's probably both. Yeah. It could be both. I mean, there are Well, maybe just, those. maybe you could talk about the sanctity of life in general. Yeah, that's true. Right? And that can take the and form dignity. of dignity too. Yeah. That could take the form of. Governments, abortion, euthanasia, whatever, gender theory. Yeah. I mean, it certainly seems like there is evil at work, right? I mean, a war is being raged. That is evil. Sure. Um, And we've seen that history. It's hard to understand, but, you know, I think the devil has gotten in, you know, and been able to persist. And this is why we've seen these tragedies throughout history and they're continuing and we don't know what is going to happen next week. Yeah. Or, or what's going to come of this over the following months or unfortunately years, you know? Mm-hmm. Is, does that fill you with kind of trepidation? That, sometimes. Sometimes, yeah. The fact that history is unfolding in a very real way. Yeah, you know, yeah. And it may not be good. Well, I, I think it's, I know this is a weird perspective, but I find it fascinating. Mm. I mean, it's interesting. It's not, it's terrible, but it's interesting. And so it it's something that, you know, if we're so fortunate to live a long life that we'll be talking about. And I think that's Yeah. There's something to that. I mean, you get you get notches in your belt in these moments. Um but but also as I said before, I think whenever there's tragedy, especially at the beginning of COVID and throughout that whole thing, is that your your circle shrinks, right? The things that you're worried about shrink, right? Think about the people in Ukraine. Think about what they're worried about. They're worried about the surviving. next hour, right? The next hour. Yeah. They're not worried about what their career is going to look like in 10 years. You know, right. what's your five-year plan? They're like, no, what's my hour plan? Yeah. You know, and, and I think that's, so your circle really shrinks in these moments um, to how you can survive the next minute. Um, and I think that's, and maybe to some extent, that's the way we should, we should be considering our lives all the time because we don't know the time or the place. Mm. Um, so it's, it's not a terrible way to live either. I think a lot of people are in disbelief that a war could unfold in this day and age, right, with how sophisticated we are. And, um, you know, there were all these alerts, at least that I was getting leading up to it, right, that kept saying, kind of giving you this idea of what was happening, but Russia was not going to invade, they were not going to invade, right? They weren't calling it an invasion invasion for a while, then they did change the terminology, then the invasion happened, and now it's war, right? So I don't know if... Um, we just can't accept this because we all know how wrong this is, um, or that we should be able to 
avoid this type of conflict, right, through other means. Mm-hmm. Um, or if we're just in disbelief, this is where I think I'm headed, that human nature doesn't change, hmm. you know? You make an interesting point because I was reading an article uh, on a good a good website, I forget which one, that said that you know what's at stake here is really the future of the human race because they said that you know, we had almost evolved to the point of no more war. And this is almost a huge step back, you know, to going really back to kind of the barbaric, just simply might makes right kind of attitude. And so the question is really is like, how's the human race going to respond? Like, shouldn't we be past this already? Yeah, and I think you see the, the, the outcry throughout the world. And that's part of the social media thing that you had mentioned before that, I mean, nothing, the, the most united the United States has ever been in the past, I don't know, pick it, decades, was 9-11, or 9-12, actually. September 12th was the most united the United States has been in my lifetime. Yeah. Um, this might be, this is certainly the most, when, most united the world has been, except for Russia and a couple other countries, China in particular, which is being ambiguous. But other than that, like the Western world, let's say, it's the most united the Western world has been in my lifetime. Yeah. Well, that's for certain. That's for certain. Well, I would imagine a lot of people are feeling lost and don't know what to do and unfortunately despair because, as we know, a lot of people have left the church. Mm. They're not faithful anymore. And in a lot of ways, there are active forces trying to pull God out of everything, which we have seen. And I think a lot of people, especially our generation, have bought into that, that they don't need God. They were probably raised going to some kind of a church and they don't go anymore. And what do they do now? How do they respond, right? And after 9-11, there was a huge surge in um, people attending masses again um, because it's what they had. Like it was something to comfort them to go go to. And um, of course it faded in time. So... Yeah, I kind of see this as two ways. Hopefully, I think, you know, we have to play a role in this, I think. You know, if you encounter someone who is feeling lost or down or you have to tell them this is when you rely on God, right? You have to be able to have that conversation that God is real. Because I think a lot of us don't even want to go there because, mm-hmm. they'll, oh, they'll think I'm weird or uh, I don't want to, you know, bring that up. But we have to bring that up, number one. And... um I think it's it's going to lead to we can come together and support people and help them see that God is real, or we just continue to go down this path of God is not in anything, yeah. right? And I think we're really seeing that in the United States right now. And, um, you know, there's the transgender movement. Uh, wasn't that a big talking point at the State of the Union, right? It's like protecting rights of children, but... Oh, was it really? Oh, I didn't watch I that. Didn't. I know it was... A, I, I've heard, I abstained. It, it was a talking point, but, you know... They're spinning it as protecting rights of children. Um, but what about the evil there, right? Um, and the harmful effects for children who go under hormone treatments too young, and this can't be reversed. And, you know, anxiety, depression, and suicide rates don't go down statistically after transitioning, you know, but that's all denied. And it's just this rhetoric, and it's very anti-God, and this is the way, and you've got to be with us or not. And then, of course, we have the pro-life movement, right, where... Um, Dobbs versus Jackson is up on the table. We may see an overturning of Roe versus Wade, which would be a great, mm. uh, you know, step for the pro-life movement. Except that's going to really activate the left to get out and protect quote women's rights, right? And you're hearing it. There's another thing Biden was talking about. 
Yeah, and here, I mean, here in uh, Connecticut, of course, you know, abortion is so deeply enshrined, sadly, in our our laws. It's going to be a real struggle locally. Right. It's yeah, so it's legal here in Connecticut, so nothing will change. But what I can assure you is that more people will come out in, um, you know, in like solidarity or in protection or whatever of the women who are going to get abortions, like they're going to get more support. So where are the Catholics going to be? Maybe. No, I think definitely. Because even when Trump was elected, this happened. More people were at Planned Parenthood because Trump was elected. I think, uh, sorry, you can go if you want. Yeah, no, I I wanted to relate that point um, quickly back to what's going on in Ukraine and Russia. Is that, so, um, is when when um, the the whole world is now united. Like I said, the whole world is now united around Ukraine and Russia, right? They've come out in favor of that, and it's because you, the the attack of U- Russia on Ukraine is like well, countries countries don't invite countries in Europe anymore. That doesn't that doesn't happen. Like that hasn't happened for seventy years. Like what's going on here? Um, and I hope my hope is is that with the pro life movement, that at some point in the next hundred years or however many years it's going to be, hopefully less, that it's Oh, we don't we don't abort babies anymore. Like, wait, the state made abortion legal. Like, what is that? And so that's my hope for that for that movement. And it's because war was just so commonplace in Europe for seven hundred years that it's like, oh, of right. course, of course, there's countries invading countries in Europe. That's just normal course of business, right? Um, but now we look that's at that's Europe. Now we look at it as barbaric, right? That's true. That's true. But you know, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't. I think it could be a rosy view. Because I, I don't... Well, I'm an optimist. I don't know that... I'm a that, gloomy optimist. A gloomy optimist? Yeah. Eeyore, but with Prozac. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, I, I wonder if um, if that's ever going to change before Christ comes again. Right. You know, I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. maybe. I, uh, I've, uh, I've just been enjoying listening for the last couple of minutes. Um, and it... And now he's going to enjoy speaking. Now that's it. That time, <laughs> and that yeah. time's over. No, but uh, I, I've the, the whole conversation has made me think of a C.S. Lewis quote, which I think I've probably said on this show three times, um, <laughs> but I'm going to say it again. Uh, he basically says, God, God whispers in our joy, speaks in our, you know, every day and shouts in our pain, mm. you know? And so in the context of all of these things, but in particular, I think Ukraine, right? Like, why, why does this happen? Well, because the Lord's calling us back. You know what I mean? Yeah. Why are all these terrible, like things go bad before they go good. That seems to be how it goes. You know, you, you feel pain and you reach out to God. And so this is happening on, this is happening on a, in particular in Ukraine, but you can argue a global scale now. Well, yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because today, just today I was um, preparing for a Bible study next week in which we kind of talk about the return from exile, from, mm-hmm. from the Babylonian exile and how they rebuilt the temple. And, and there's so many different views of history. You know, there's the determinist view of history, like, you know, we're just determined by our fate and our, our biochemical processes and evolution or whatever. And then there's the providential yeah. view of history that actually no history really is the unfolding of God's plan. And even... Now, you know, through these events, which seem to be completely secular and apart from God, whether it's COVID, whether it's war in Ukraine, that God is still has a purpose and is accomplishing his purpose, even using evil means, such as he used the Pharaoh in Egypt to capture his people right. so that his people would develop an identity and then be freed and, and kind of have that, that experience of God's power, you know, so. Right. And so far as we, it's like we mess up and he can still use that. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And, so, the, and you have like the, the only reaction to that has to be like, how good is God? Yeah. Yeah. You know, 
And so I think we have to view this uh, this war with the providential view of history that God is somehow going to use, bring great good out of it, even if we can only see it from a 30,000-foot view 200 years in the future. Yeah. You know? Well, stay tuned next week. We're going to pick up this same conversation as we talk about more current events going on and just our quick hot takes on it. But thanks for joining us on this episode of Restless. You can find us on 1350 AM and also it's on the FM station as well, Veritas Catholic Network and wherever you get your podcasts. My challenge for you is to pray, hope, and don't worry, says St. Padre Pio. Prayer is the best thing we can do to solve the problems in the world, hope in God's providence and his mercy, and never fear because God's in control. Tune in next time.